Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. I'm Danny, as always. So we went on spring break last week. My kids had spring break. We went to Virginia. No special reason. We don't have any family there or anything, but we just went to Virginia, saw Jamestown. That was really cool, seeing one of the earliest places in the United States where... um, well, the Europeans settled. Uh, obviously, Native Americans were here, but we're such a we're we're such a uh, young country that seeing seeing things as old as four hundred years is still really really cool um, to my kids and to me. And then we went and spent a day at Washington D.C. But all of the monuments are, or all of the <clears throat> museums and everything are closed. But that's okay. We just spent a whole day walking around the monuments and that's a whole day's worth right there i mean if you want to do museums and stuff then when they're open then that's extra time but the monuments are really cool it was really i mean i never went to washington dc until i was an adult 2014 was actually the first time that i ever went to dc i went there for work and then um went and saw went and did the the mall area and saw all the monuments by myself. But then being there with my kids was really cool. And everybody's favorite was the Lincoln Memorial. I think um, that was my favorite too when I was there. So that was that was what we were doing all of last week. So welcome back to the podcast. I put out the mini episode, although it didn't end up being it didn't end up being as short as I anticipated for the Zack Snyder cut. <clears throat> And I recorded that after having watched it once, and I've watched it a second time, all four hours, although that the second time was in two sittings. I got sleepy, uh, and it is such a damn good movie. Man, the Zack Snyder cut just wipes the floor with the theatrical. So And the music's awesome. I bought the soundtrack and i listened to that and that's a whole endeavor also i um because that's well over three and a half hours or so uh but so good and i know i butchered tom holkenberg or borg's name last time and as i'm trying to do the correction i still i think i'm not sure if it's borgerberg um but he's no longer looks like he's no longer going by Junkie XL anymore. I don't know when that switch happened, but the music is so good. That music when the spoilers, but there's a point in the movie where the Flash is running back in time, and the music during that part is so so awesome. I love it, love it. All right, so as the music that uh, opened the podcast, as you heard, I'm going to start off with the Booster Gold portion of the show but first i want to do a couple of quick takes um, real fast just a couple of things that aren't going to get their whole episode but i wanted to just shout them out i recently read the erotic yes erotic um the book the the secret identity the fetish art of superman's co-creator joe schuster so for those of you who don't know this in the 1950s joe schuster was by all accounts, on pretty hard times, and he did a series of fetish art for some small, small um, 
fanzine. Well, they're not. They're they they were a little bit more than fanzines, but basically these fanzines, um, they were really underground magazines, and he did this fetish art. And I actually only recently learned about this uh, in the last year or so. But there's a nice book out there. It's out of print, but check it out. It's called Secret Identity, the Fetish Art of Superman's um, co-creator Joe Schuster. It's like a coffee table book, but you probably wouldn't want to leave it out. Um, But it's all this fetish art. And there's all the backstory of how Joe Schuster got involved and the backstory of the magazine itself and sort of the climate of the industry at the, of the day. And, um, and then all of the, all of the pinups and fetish art. And it's pretty, it's pretty, um, pretty interesting to see. I mean, it's, it is Joe Schuster without a doubt. I mean, some of these, some of these images are straight up Clark Kent and Lois Lane for sure, but doing these incredible, like, um, you know, bondage and, and it's, it's a, it's quite a, it's quite a neurotic, um, titillating book. I'll say that. Uh, and it's, it's a piece of history, a piece of erotic history that is really interesting tied in with Superman. And who knew, I I mean, this book was put out in 2009 by this person, Craig Yo. I don't know who he is. If you look up, if you look him up on Wikipedia, he's got a bunch of other, um, books. It seems like he's his sort of niche is like underground, like sort of bringing underground comic history to light or um, unknown. So this sort of fits right up his his alley. So again, that's called Secret Identity: the the fetish art of Superman's co-creator Joe Schuster. Um, it's out of print. I think I, I mean I got mine on eBay for um, it was a really nice copy, but I got it for a very reasonable price. I mean I mean it was probably like under 20 bucks i mean it might have even been under the msrp for it so that is really cool and and again it's not a piece of superman's history that's really talked about i mean it's not technically superman's history but it's what superman's co-creator went on to do and so it is sort of tied in with superman's history and there are some early superman um artwork in this book and um and it's so it, it it definitely is for anybody who's interested in Superman history and where the co-creators went and what they did and um this is this is a fascinating look at Joe Schuster's I would say fairly unknown um fetish art um and it's pretty good too and it's pretty it's quite sexy it's uh um it was it does it's a good job and the but it is in it is undeniably Joe Schuster and it is und and you can tell his faces are it's it's super interesting to see you know Lois Lane whipping a man I mean it's it's the same face um so check that out but don't leave it lying around on your coffee table next up was I don't think I talked about this I think it was announced the last time I recorded my previous episode i don't i don't think i talked about it but i'm super excited for the the comic that is based on superman the movie that dc announced along with the batman 89 comic and you can go read all those articles um check it out check out the articles but i'm excited for that i just wanted to give that a shout out i'm it's gonna be hard i want to wait or not i want to i'm going to wait until they've, they've they've already announced that the the rollout is going to be 
digital only and then for starting in the summer i think july and then i think in august print edition of single issues and then in november a full collection um six issues worth i don't know if there's going to be they haven't announced that there's going to be more than six issues but six issues worth in a hardcover collection coming out in november and i know i for i certainly want that hardcover collection um and so waiting until november is gonna be tough it's gonna be tough when july comes and those digital firsts are coming out and it's just gonna be tough to not read some but that is my goal and i'm really looking forward to that so i wanted to give that a shout out and then a a few weeks ago two or three weeks ago um think three i think it was three weeks ago the first issue of superman red and blue was released and this is i've never read them before but it's sort of similar to apparently they have a batman black and white where all of the sort of sort of an anthology style book and all of the stories are in black and white art well here they did superman red and blue where they try to do all blue and red hues and hues and tones in the color palette, and when, when when it was first announced, I thought, "What a what a gimmick! That's not going to look good. It's not going to work." But I figured I, I checked out the first issue, and I was quite surprised that I how much I enjoyed that. Um, again, I've for the long for a while now, since definitely <clears throat> early on in Bendis's run, I've just been enjoying the non main continuity stuff more so i i shouldn't be surprised that i was a that i really enjoyed superman red and blue and i think it was like it was an oversized issue I, i'm not sure how, how, how many pages it was but it had about five or six stories in it and i i thought it was really good so uh i'll probably be waiting i'll probably wait for the trade on that since and pick up the rest of the issues in trade since i thought it was really good and i why not um have a nice collection of it. So I'll probably wait for that. But I, I give Superman Red and Blue a recommendation, at least issue one. Uh, I, we'll see the other one. The other issues might uh, might not be as good, but issue number one was really good. All right, let's get into Booster Gold talk. So today I am talking about, I'm doing my second part of my coverage of the booster gold portions of the 52 maxi series. Now I did, I had to go back and look because it's been a while and I wasn't even, I couldn't find my show notes. I couldn't find anything about part one. Um, and I did part one back in episode five of this show, uh, in 2019. And I covered the first half of 52 up through issue 26. Now, full disclosure, I did not go back and, listen to that episode and I couldn't find my show notes so I may or may not cover the second half the back half uh I it might not be covered in the same way I don't know I'm going to be focusing solely on Booster's story here within the uh within the 52 maxi series and again this is the series from 2006 what 2006 2007 that ran 52 weeks 52 issues one issue a week and it was written by, co-written by Jeff Johns and Greg Rucka and Grant Morrison um, with a rotating rotating group of artists. And it, it got pretty good reviews. And I read it back when it was coming out and I thought, and I liked it. And I really liked the Booster Gold portions and it sort of got me into Booster Gold. And then definitely volume two uh, kicks off right from 
right after, right from the, I, I mean, issue number one of Boucher Gold Volume Two says from the pages of Fifty Two or something like that. I think it, I think it literally says from the pages of Fifty Two, and so go check out if you haven't listened to it. Check out episode five. Um, even though I don't know if I'm going to cover things the same way, I don't know how much, if any, coverage I gave to the other storylines that run through 52, but I'm not going to be giving them any coverage here. Um, and definitely in the second half, I'm there's really not much. Like the first half, I will say the entire storyline um, with the Kryptonian cult and Cassie trying to bring Connor Kent back to life, I thought was really interesting. Also, the the stuff with um, Ralph Dibney in in the first half, I thought was really good. The second half, I really got to say that it's really Black Adam heavy, and it's less interesting to me. Um, so I, I actually don't even have a ton positive to say about the other portions of the the other storylines. And I guess, I mean, they're all fine. I mean, I don't hate them. And the, the Steel, the Infinity Inc. storyline. Um, but I do have to say, all of the stuff in space with Animal Man, and, um, Starfire, all of that stuff, ugh, did not like that at all. But that's all the coverage I'm going to be giving to <laughs> the other storylines happening in 52, which is basically nil. Um so before I get to the actual coverage, I want to do just a little bit of talking a little bit about the series as a whole and some summary information and just how much Booster Gold content is in 52. Because I've seen on a lot of lists when you see like, oh, the best best Booster Gold storylines or best, best things that Booster Gold's been in, 52 comes up quite a bit. So when you think about 52, do you think about 52 being a Booster Gold Um Maxi, you know, you know, is is it Booster Gold heavy? Well, let's see here. When you add up the page count, which I did, I went through and counted all of the pages across all fifty-two issues. The amount of content that Booster is in comes out to seven issues worth of comics at twenty-two pages. So if 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 each if each issue was 22 pages, there's enough booster content throughout all of 52 to fill seven comics. It's a little disappointing when you work out the numbers that way. And I don't know, I'm not going to do it. I'm certainly not going to do it. But if I were to count a page count for the other storylines running through, through 52, you know, how much content do they get? Um, how many issues does that, does it cover? And, on some sense, in some sense, it doesn't matter because I'm talking just about Booster Gold. And seven issues is not that much, but it's good stuff. If you took all of those pieces and had seven issues of a comic, it's a, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good storyline. Um, but what you get, what you get is you get a couple of key issues where you get um, 16 pages or 13 pages with the exception of 52, number 52, which is almost entirely booster, which I'll get to in a few minutes, but with the exception of that, which is 32 pages, with the exception of that, the most amount a uh, single issue has is 16 pages. Um, but you get a lot of 
you know, two pages catching up on what's going on, two, three, two, four pages of catching up on what's going on and with the booster plot. And when I say booster, I mean anything associated with the booster stuff. So there's some issues where it's just Skeets, um, what Skeets is up to, some issues that uh, I'll talk about in a minute, but there's a, a single page in one comic in 52, 52, um, I, I, I have the number later uh, in my notes, but where it's just a single page of Clark Kent talking about Supernova. And um, so I'm including that in, in terms of the booster storyline. It doesn't necessarily have to be booster himself or spoiler alert, uh, Supernova. Um, but seven, seven issues worth. I, I, I wish there was a collection of just his story. It would be awesome if for all of the 52 storylines, if they broke them out and you could buy the individual collections, like here's booster gold storyline from 52. Here's the infinity ink storyline from 52. That would be really cool because they really don't intersect all that much here and there but not really that much. And so you, I mean, the Black Adam stuff starts to, well, not not even that um, intersects that much with the other storylines. You really could break these out into, um, and then, I mean, that would be a way for DC to get some more money is to then sell each individual storyline from 52. Uh, I, I'm surprised, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised it has not happened. But, so the booster content comes out to seven issues worth. And there's really only, in the back half, the second half of 52, there's really only seven issues of any substance between issues 27 through 52 with Booster Gold. And one page of the World War Three four-issue spinoff or like it was spinning out the um the black adam storyline i guess just couldn't be contained in with within the pages of 52 so they really had to so they spun that out and booster gets sort of one or it was like one or two panels but basically one page of one issue of the world war th um oh i said world war two i mean the world war three the world war three um four issue miniseries that ran parallel during like weeks 48 through 52 or something like like that. So obviously I've taken a humongous break. My last issue was, or my last episode covering this was, was issue number five. So again, go check that out. Go, um, if you want to hear my thoughts on the first half of 52. So within the entirety of 52, there are five issues where booster is, storyline covers 10 pages or more only five and there's 12 issues with less than five pages so it's really sporadic on how much booster content you're going to get but it it comes out on the it's the law the average is you uh, much smaller um and there's many more issues where you only get a handful of booster booster pages there are nine issues where Booster is on the cover. Although one of those, he doesn't even appear in the comic hims, um, himself. And I believe that that was the one where there's a, there's a cover where there's three kids who are dressed up in Halloween costumes. And one of the kids is in a Booster Gold costume. Very prominent on the cover. 
but Boucher doesn't actually even appear, or none of the his storyline isn't in that issue at all. Like, there's nothing from his storyline um, covered in that issue. So even though he's in, on the cover, or he's represented at least because it's the kid who's wearing who's wearing the uh, the Boucher Gold Halloween costume, he's only he's then in that. So nine issues where he's on the cover. Um, there's six covers where he is the primary content on the cover. So again, I'm just trying to get some context to how much booster content there really is in this 52, this 52 maxi series. And, and the booster story feels very self-contained. And I, and again, like I said, I wish there was just a collection of that because I don't know if I'll read this storyline again. And I actually am going to file my comics where I'm going to file 52. I'm going to break it up. I'm only going to put those those Booster Gold issues. I'm going to put them separate, like in my Booster Gold filing. Like probably a nightmare for anybody who's not me, but I'm going to put all the issues that have Booster's content in the Booster area of my comic collection. And I, who knows when or if I'll ever return to read 52 again, the non-Booster portions. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely read the booster content again and it won't take that long it's seven issues worth um but i just don't i just probably won't return to the rest of 52 uh i have to imagine especially given um he was really the the mastermind behind at least getting volume two started that the they it the issues don't tell you like you don't know which writer wrote or co-wrote um, which storylines, and again, I mentioned that it was, it's sort of like all Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Jeff Johns, I think Judd Winnick did some, I think, um, but you don't know exactly how that breaks down, but I really feel like the booster content was really, um, um, spearheaded by Jeff Johns. It has that writing feel, and just the way that he seems, he's a big fan of booster, or I, I get that sense, and he wrote, the you know the first uh major first couple of major arcs in volume two he wrote the booster issue of small or the booster episode of smallville that i covered um i think it was last last episode right i covered that so I, I think it was jeff johns writing this so as i start the coverage here let's um as a reminder at this point in the storyline booster is believed to be dead having been blown up previously all right, so issue 27, uh, Booster's content is four pages worth. Skeet shows up to confront Wave Rider of the Linear Man Wave Rider, asking about Rip Hunter's whereabouts and seemingly kills him when he won't give up the information about Rip Hunter. That's the entirety of issue 27. I'm, some of these I'm going to blow through kind of quickly. Some of them are going to take a little bit more time. Oh, issue 31 or issue issue 34. So again, you can as I go through these, I'm going to give the issue numbers. So you can just see that you just have weeks without any booster content. So we had I just mentioned issue 27 was um the four pages Skeets confronting Wave Rider about Rip Hunter's whereabouts and then nothing again until issue 34 where we this is where the one page um that I was mentioning um what, the content covers one page goons Presumably, Lex Luthor's goons are interrogating Clark Kent to find out why Superman is masquerading as Supernova. Clark tells them that Supernova is not Superman. 
That's it. That's all that's in that issue. Issue 35. Three pages worth. After Luther turned off the metahuman ability, and they all start falling out of the sky, and chaos is going on, Supernova, Supernova shows up and saves thousands of people by teleporting them away after a gas main blows. So that's it and that. Um, just three pages. Uh, note about this issue, most um, issue number 35, most of the issue was penciled by uh, Jurgens, Dan Jurgens. So it has a familiar feel, and um, it looks good. Issue 36. So we actually have a three issues, 34, 35, 36. And th oh, four issues, 34, 35, 36, and 37. All of those four issues with some booster content here. So issue number 36, three pages worth. Woohoo! Supernova and Rip Hunter are in the shrunken city of Candor discussing how they are going to, to defeat Skeets. Supernova says that they are in the last place Skeets would look as we see a splash page of Skeets in the fortress looking at the bottle city very ominously. This is a good issue, or I mean, it's a good three pages. Um, really sets up the storyline nicely, and you get a little bit more of. I mean, it's only three pages, but you get a little bit more of the story. I I like it. All right, issue number thirty-seven. This one is one of the bigger ones for um, boosters content. Uh, the. It's it's one of the few booster centric covers. So I mentioned earlier the number of covers. This one's a booster centric cover. It's really it's really good looking cover. Booster is reflected in Skeet's metallic. It's the full the Skeet's almost takes up the whole cover, and if there's fire behind them, like it's a very ominous looking uh, cover. And Booster is reflected in Skeet's metallic body, holding the Bottle City of Candor. Really cool and really striking cover. All right, so. The content covers 13 pages, so quite a quite a step up, 13 pages. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's just over half an issue's worth, but still, that's, um, feels like a ton when we just, when we've been getting just crumbs, three pages, four pages, one page, so 13 pages, so a meaty, meaty portion of this comic. Um, the synopsis for this, because I'm going to read a full synopsis for this issue, uh, or at least the booster portion of the issue. The synopsis is courtesy of dc.fandom.com. I want to give them a shout out because, of course, my lazy butt didn't want to write the synopsis for it. So, at the Fortress of Solitude, Skeets runs amok. He slams into the shrunken city of Candor, nearly toppling it over. Rimp Rip Hunter tells Supernova to give him the controls to his costume and take off. Supernova obeys and flies away. Suddenly, in his place, Booster Gold appears. Skeets is perplexed. He does not understand how Booster is still alive. Booster knew that an outside force was controlling Skeets, so he faked his own death and traveled backwards in time, 12 weeks from this point, to assume the guise of Supernova. From there, Rip Hunter and, Rip, from there, Rip Hump, Rip, Rip Hunter and he had been surreptitiously gathering advanced technology from around the globe, preparing for what they knew would be a tremendous battle. While Booster Keats keeps Skeets distracted, Rip Hunter quickly cobbles together a Phantom Zone projector. He activates it, and a wave of purple energy projects outward. Rather than imprisoning Skeets, however, the Phantom Zone energy only serves to nourish him, and he begins eating the Phantom Zone. 
before Skeets can do any more damage, Rip and Booster time jump away. All right, that's the notes for this issue. Great issue, but can I just ask, what does eating the Phantom Zone even mean? Um, <laughs> this is a really good issue. Uh, really meaty booster content, really cool. We get the Supernova reveal. After all this time, I, um, we finally learn who Supernova is, at least in the story, uh, for those of us who came to this and didn't know it the first time you're reading it for the first time, maybe. And so we get that reveal there, and it's it's pretty cool reveal that it was Booster Gold all along. Um, and, but Skeets is eating the Phantom Zone. Okay, I mean it's 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 cool and dramatic, but when you really start to you know put a critical hat on, it doesn't even make sense. Like you can eat the like what is eating the Phantom Zone? It's a it's a it's a space. It's a space. I mean it's a different dimension. Um, I mean, I guess so we're saying, I mean, I mean, on one hand, it is kind of crazy. I mean, it shows the the power and how powerful Skeets has become. We, we, we don't yet know why Skeets is like this, but um, spoiler, that's coming in just a moment. But if Skeets can eat the Phantom Zone, well, he's pretty damn powerful. And so we know how crazy it is. But when you really think about it, eating the Phantom Zone, so you're eating just a you're eating another dimension. It's like, I can, like, if I try to imagine eating the room I'm in, it's hard to imagine that. Um, doesn't even make like doesn't even make sense. Like what, like to eat the room you're in. I mean, the actual, the, the, not, not just the walls and things, but like to eat the, the essence of the room or, you know, um, the dimension of the room it's it's hard to even fathom like what that even means and so that's it's kind of silly i mean but it's comic books i mean we just have to not worry about that it was a great issue great cover you know fantastic so uh one of my that i mean i mean i mean it's when i say it's one of my favorite of the series it's because we get so much booster content 13 issues up to this point it's the up to this point it's the only the third time that we've had that much content there was um back in the fir first half of the first half of the series we had there was a 16 booster got 16 pages and then another 13 but then until now this is the next time that we get this media of a of a issue for booster so really good really good um issue all right the next the next issue that we have here is issue number 51 so we get four pages worth but i am going to read a synopsis courtesy of dc fan dc.fandom.com rip hunter booster gold and skeets arrive in the rocky mountains headquarters of professor t.o morrow morrow exhausted and is, is exhausted and stares warily at the android face of red tornado in his workshop Skeets begins shaking, and the others discover that his robotic that his robotic uh, that his robotic body has been functioning as a super advanced cocoon. The Venusian uh, chrysalis for Mister Mind, or the the Venusian chrysalis, Mister Mind emerges from the cocoon and threatens to consume the universe. Rip, Booster, and Morrow rush back into the time sphere. Hunter tells them that they are going back to where it all started. Skeets is really being drawn evil here. 
so this is a sorry that Skeets is really being drawn evil sounded like it was part of the synopsis that was my <laughs> commentary Skeets is really being drawn evil um really with the <clears throat> his his um sort of the where you would imagine like the eyepiece for his what what we as the audience think of like Skeets is like um, IP sort of it really has it's really being drawn with these angles that really show sort of a, a menacing and evil and angry um, connotation with we we imagine it would be I mean we we get that connotation from the 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 look of an of eyebrows with humans but Skeets has that here and looks really cool but then Mr. Mind's metamorphosis is creepy as hell he looks creepy here like you don't want to want to mess with this thing. This this thing. Um, I mean, Mister Mines, the sort of cheesy. Although I like him, I quite like him. Uh, but the cheesy caterpillar uh, villain from of Captain Marvel or Shazam. Um, but here he's a, he's transformed into like a full on, full on, really creepy um, giant insect like entity that is super all powerful now. So this is a good issue. Uh, again, a lot of story packed into just those those four pages. It's not not a ton of pages, but um, it's really good. All right, next, the big daddy, the big one, issue number fifty two of fifty two, with a um, with a and you'd think there's so much booster content in this issue that you'd think you'd have. Um, a booster prominent on the cover, but it's sort of a mirror of issue number one at the the cemetery. And instead of it sort of being uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman's um, accoutrement, uh, um, you get the elongated man, and you get um, the questions hat there. And so it's sort of a it's a mirror of issue number one's cover. But don't let the cover fool you. It's almost entirely a booster issue. So we get 32 pages. 32 pages of this big boy. I mean, it's an oversized issue, but just about the entirety of this issue is booster golds. So it's that's awesome. All right. Settle in because, again, this synopsis is courtesy of dc.fandom.com. And it's a, it's a longer one. So... Buckle, strap yourselves in here. Rip Hunter is revealed to revealed to Booster Gold that after the events of Infinite Crisis, the remaining Earths created by Alexander Luthor collapse back together, combining historical remnants to form one new Earth. However, the single universe was too small to contain the energy inside it and began replicating into 52 identical universes, a new multiverse. Further... In the few seconds after the creation of this new multiverse, the Earths and their corresponding universes will occupy the same space, same space, each on a different vibra- vibrational plane. During their efforts to stop the vastly powerful Mr. Mind from destroying every universe, Hunter described Mind's efforts as eating years and events from this universe's history, altering the Earth with every flap of his wings. This resulted in the Earth changing becoming different from New Earth in varying degrees. Hunter's plan to defeat Mr. Mind rested with Booster, Supernova, and Skeets. By fortifying Skeets' shell with Savannah's invention, Suspendium, 
They managed to imprison Mr. Mind in Skeets. Booster Booster threw Skeets through an opening in time while Supernova ensured that it ended up in the correct time. Week zero, day zero. Mr. Mr. Mind's dissolved form is found again. Devolved form is found again by Savannah, who imprisons him. Hunter used the 52 seconds of missing time to bind Mr. Mind, forever condemned to live within that loop. Hunter further states the notion that there's a multiverse beyond the reality that we know that's too dangerous a secret to spread. However, he had let that very thing slip in front of Dr. Savannah. All right. Ooh, what an issue. This issue really is awesome. And it really has a big feel the way that like you look at all the earths that are here, it really feels like it fits right in with Infinite Crisis. Um it's a big it's a big deal and it has big ramifications. We learn that the multiverse. Now, if you were to if you were able to um decipher Dan DiDio's um, sort of secret message, decode, uh, decoded message in the back of one of the, um, what the DC Nation pages is what they're called back then, then you would know, I guess, the secret of 52 is that the multiverse is back. I think that was his message or paraphrasing along that lines. But here it's revealed, not in a decoded message, but just to all of us uh, peons, who are reading this, who didn't decipher that message, that the multiverse is back. And this was a big deal back then. Now it seems like so irrelevant with the multiverse that's going on, the dark multiverse that we have now from um, Dark Knight's death metal. Or, um, the dark multiverse, the omniverse, the uh, all, like, it seems rather pedestrian. But back in... Back in 2007, this wasn't, you know, this and, and, and this concept was new to a lot of people. I didn't grow up with uh, with the multiverse in DC Comics. I was uh, post-crisis all the way, got into Superman and comics in general with around the death of Superman time, so early 90s, and a single DC universe was all that I knew. And of course, I was familiar with the the concept from the pre-crisis days, especially by this point, but it was still a foreign um, and sort of exciting that this was the case now. And it was a really cool issue chasing um, Mr. Mind, learning about the history. And it just felt like something, a big, a big event, the way that a crisis event feels like this issue really had that, um, that, that big, that big feel from a, um, a major crossover or a major event, something important is happening within the universe, within the within within the comic publishing universe, and DC reintroducing the multiverse was a was a big deal. I would say that it didn't really get utilized as well, um, but the fact that like it was just just introduced that concept is really cool, and this is where. This issue really cements home the Booster Gold Volume Two sort of mantra, the of uh, Booster Gold's new nickname, basically the greatest hero you've never heard of. Um, this is really where that could start because they can't tell anyone about this. They don't want to tell. They don't want to let, let this get out. And they and and Booster saved 
all of time and humanity. And I mean, not solely, but we have Rip Hunter and we have Daniel Carter, who is in the supernova outfit here. And, um, you, this is, this is the Genesis and really the kicking off, the kicking off point for volume two. And it's a fantastic issue. Um, and it's awesome that booster gets his pretty much his own issue of the series. Um, completely i mean by far um more than double the page count of any other any other well not double because there was one issue with 16 pages so i guess exactly double um um and so when i said if you had a comic that was 22 pages you'd get seven issues worth well this is this is one and a half of those issues right here and just this single um content so if you took this this issue out of it, you've got five and a half half issues of booster content. So, so for, so let me get some of my thoughts. Um, finish some of my thoughts about issue fifty two. I don't great issue. I think um, it's it's a seminal issue in Booster Gold's history. It is one of the most important issues I think for Booster Gold. I haven't done this. Maybe I maybe I should. But if I were to compile, you know, the top ten important issues for booster gold you're gonna you know you'll have issue one of volume one issue one of volume two you'll this will be there issue 52 of 52 like that would be there so spoiler if i do do i hadn't had that thought until just now but if i that would be a cool episode topic the top 10 important booster gold issues but i've already given away three of them right now um off the top of my head um the rest of them I'd have to actually think about. Now I'm like, those first three really became obvious, and then uh, I'm not sure what the what the other ones would actually be. Um, well, I guess I'll leave that for when I actually do that episode, or that, that episode right? Um, and then real quick, I just want to mention, so the World War III, um, number two. So that was a four-issue miniseries that, was, that ran parallel with 52 and dealt with sort of Black Adam and his what was going on with him in world war three, actually. Um, Booster shows up on one page of issue number two. I think he's in one panel also of issue three, but I'm really not counting it, but he shows up in one on one page of any substance in this series. Uh, and he shows up during a fight, during the fight with black Adam at the leaning tower of Pisa. And he sort of pops in while there's a fight going on and sort of pops out as he's traveling through time. And he says, that he showed up, or he shows up, it's, it's not the right time, it's too soon, and then he pops out. So presumably, he, this is when he's traveling back in time to be then become Supernova. I'm not entirely sure at what point, and I'm only mentioning the World War Three because it fits right in with, it's it's still sort of part of the 52 Maxi series. It's a companion piece. You don't necessarily have to read it, but you probably should if... Um, and it's it's so totally obvious that DC was supposed to fill that year because for those of you who don't remember, or I'll give it the um, after Infinite Crisis, all the books jumped to one year later. So one year later after the end of Infinite Crisis, and the Fifty Two series was supposed to fill in what happened, and and all of those one year later series had a lot of different changes to them. And Fifty Two, one of its jobs was to give you a good story, which it in general, it did, for the most part, minus the space story. 
and it was also supposed to explain the changes that happened. Well, along the way, the creators forgot the piece of explaining all of the changes that are supposed to lead up to the one year later. And so they basically had to, you know, they basically crammed every, all, all the big changes into this World War III. Um, so you probably sh- should read it if you're trying to get the full 52 experience. But Booster's really in one page. So, as a recap, or is 52 worthy of being called, you know, is it super important for Booster Gold? Is it, if we're only talking Booster Gold and his contributions to it, how does 52 stack up? And I think that's a two-part, I have a two-part answer. I think it stacks up fairly well. If you only, like, if you take Booster's story and um, the, the early on, the conceited Booster that we see, and then the the, the death and all the Mr. Mind stuff. Again, not a ton here. Again, I've said multiple times, seven issues worth of content here. But it's really good. I think that, that those seven issues worth of content w- is really excellent. Would stand up there with some of the best Booster Gold storylines. But you have there's so much other stuff. So if you're coming at 52 and you're going to read it issue 1 through 52 as a Booster Gold fan, it's, it's pretty disappointing because you will go weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks without any Booster content. And then they'll give you some crumbs. Oh, here's three pages to, um, of a little bit of Booster content. And then you'll go weeks and weeks again without it. As I mentioned earlier, just in the back half, so issues 27 through 52, we you get uh, um, some pretty good content in the mid-30s, issue number 30s um, for Booster. But after week 37, you basically have nothing until week 51. So that means, you know, weeks 38 through 50, those 12 weeks there, nothing. So yes and no to the answer of, is 52 a good booster series? No, not really. But is there a good booster storyline within 52? Hell yeah, there is. It's really good. One of the best. All right. I think that sort of wraps up my coverage of 52. As I mentioned, I will revisit the booster storyline again. No doubt. I'll read it multiple. I mean, that's something I'll revisit uh, periodically because it's a good storyline, just like I would revisit any of my favorite comic book storylines. But I probably will not read the rest of the 52 storylines. Even though, as I said, it's wrapped up in the first half. But the Connor Connor resurrection cult storyline is pretty good from the first half of the first half of the series. But in general, I would just only revisit the booster stuff and no complaints there really because the booster stuff was fantastic and it was really a driving for one of the driving forces that really got me into booster, although I would say it would really 50 um volume 2 that really solidified me as a booster fan, the early issues. I mean, it really didn't take long for me to become a a really big booster fan really fast um so i think that concludes my coverage of 
52. Let's move on to the Superman portion of the show. So today with the Superman portion of the show, I'm going to be talking about Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Now the reason I was, the reason I chose to um, cover this is just because I was re-watching it and I'm like, oh, I might as well take notes on this while I'm watching it. And the reason why I was re-watching it was because of the Caped Wonder Superman podcast hosted by Jay Towers and Jim Bowers. Great show. Um, really cool. Jim Bowers is a lo- uh, local local here to the to the uh, Michigan area and met him a few times. He's he's a really cool guy. <clears throat> I have also met Jim. He was he's really cool too. Highly highly recommend that show. Um, I'm not, I'm not affiliated with them at all, but I can call a spade a spade. Um, <clears throat> their show is really good. And I was listening to the <clears throat> couple episodes ago. Sorry, I feel like I have something's caught in my throat. A little peek behind the curtain. At the end of the Booster Gold segment, my stomach was rumbling. So I'm like, man, it's, well, I'm recording. It's like midnight here. <clears throat> and I'm like, man, my stomach is hungry. So I went up the stairs and I had some blueberry Cheerios. Yes, blueberry. Uh, my kids bought them. <clears throat> but it turns out nobody in the house really wanted to eat them except for me. So I just finished off. The last bit, it was about a half a bowl's worth of blueberry Cheerios, but I feel like I'm like, oh, there's like some, a little bit of, I have some water here, but I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of something stuck in my throat. <clears throat> Hopefully that goes away here in a second. Um, so a little peek behind the curtain there, a little editing. That's why I always find it <clears throat> so funny, not funny, and I'm not going to rag on any shows, but Various shows I listen to, I always find it so interesting when they're, I mean, with, with editing, I mean, everybody knows you can edit what, however you want, but it's so funny when people are like, well, we're going to take a break and we're going to go place and we're going to um, <clears throat> do whatever, right? We're, we're, we're going to take a break. Well, you can edit it so that way nobody knows. I mean, I'm, I'm explicitly calling out my edit here, but you wouldn't know that if I didn't call it out. But um if you want to take a break when you're podcasting, just take a break and edit it out. But I always find it so interesting when a lot of, a lot of, I mean, but a lot of shows don't do that. They tell you, well, I mean, I guess in the way that I'm calling it out now, <clears throat> they just want to call themselves out every episode and that's fine. Just an interesting thing. Oh, you know what else I was thinking about before we get to the Superman portion of the show? The, uh, the meat of the Superman with Richard Downer cut. While I was eating, I, I I remembered something that I thought about a few weeks ago that I wanted to talk about on the show or just mention it. I don't remember what issue of what comic I was reading. It might have been a 52 issue, actually. Um, I feel like it might have been where we always think about splash pages as still being read um, like a regular book. Um, you know, the pages are flipping left to right um, with the splash page, you know, the left and the right. <clears throat> But I was reading a comic, and the and it I mean it's not so rare that you probably haven't encountered it, but it is fairly rare where the splash page requires you to turn the book and to read it because then now they've made it so that way the 
the left side of the book becomes the top. And so you're reading it from top down, but an extra wide. And I really think that's a cool um, effect. Uh, it really gives some verticality to a comic. And I don't remember what issue that was, so I can't really give it the appreciation it deserves. But I just wanted to say that I just want I, I, I remember when I read that, that I was like, oh, I should mention this is cool on the podcast. So then I was enjoying my half a bowl of blueberry Cheerios. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't I have no idea why. But I was like, oh, yeah, that should pop. I, uh, it popped in my head. And I was like, I should mention that um, this incomplete non sequitur <laughs> in the middle of this episode. So hopefully you guys all enjoyed that non sequitur. <clears throat> so let's get back. I mentioned um, the Cape Wonder podcast. I was listening to them, I think, a couple episodes ago. They had an interview with uh, Michael Thaw, the one of the primary editor and sort of one of the chief creative um, individuals that got us the Richard Donner cut. And they had him on there and they've talked about on that podcast a couple of times that there's the six minute longer version that's on of the Donner, Richard Donner cut of Superman two <clears throat> that's on some streaming services. And so I was like, well, okay, I'll check out the six minute longer version. And I got mine on Amazon prime. I did not have a digital copy of Richard Donner cut. So I actually had to, so I actually, ponied up the money it was like you know it's not much it was just i think it was like six bucks for the richard donner cut so i happily paid that and watched it took the notes <clears throat> and i have to say i'm going to talk about the so there is a six minute long version longer version than what's on the actual disc on these streaming services and it's still sort of a mystery why and if you listen to that interview with michael thaw he doesn't have any idea what this is and um <clears throat> But they have a uh, cool um, sort of comparison article on capedwinner.com about the exact differences between the six-minute long Richard six-minute longer cut of the Richard Donner cut um, versus so the theatrical theatrical it, the disc version I, I say theatrical but it was never in the theaters um, well there was a couple showings I think but the version that was released on the disc of the Richard Donner cut and what's on a number of streaming services, but not everyone, which is gets confusing. Um, so you have to find out, uh, I believe it's voodoo has the hundred, 122 minute version. Amazon prime also has it. So if you go to these digital services, you can look at the runtime. <clears throat> and if you see the runtime is 122 minutes, that's the version. That's the longer cut. And then there's the, Hundred and sixteen is the um, sort of original cut. Um, all that to say, I watched the movie, and at the end of it, and I took a, a ton of notes, which I'll talk about here in a second. But I watched the movie, and I thought I don't have any idea where the six minutes. I've seen the Richard Donner cut numerous times, and I don't even. I have no idea what content was is new for this version. Um, that's in. That's not on the disc version. And turns out, actually, a lot of it is um, the stuff in East Houston, Idaho. Um, I learned all this earlier today, actually, reading it on that Cape Wonder article, um, detailing the differences. And a lot of stuff, I mean, it's almost all lesser footage. There is a little bit of stuff in the Fortress of Solitude with Lex Luthor that is Donner's footage that got cut, but not much, like um, just, just over a minute's worth. But then the rest of the five minutes or so is the majority is 
Lester footage from the East Houston, Idaho. A lot of connective, t- not a lot of, I mean, it's not a five, it's not a ton, but there's some connective tissue that makes the scenes flow a little bit better. So I will have to say that I think the six minute long, ver- longer version is the preferred version, but it's, it's not really that much different. Um, so I'm going to, I'm just going to go through my notes here from, from <clears throat> that I took while I watched it. Um, the notes that I took while I watched a few, um, it's been a couple weeks ago. All right. The first note I have here is the space effects with the villains at the beginning is really bad. The You can tell they didn't have much of a budget. I really think, in general, that for the Richard Donner cut, <clears throat> they should have tried to do as little CGI as they could um, and really just do make it, an, make it an, uh, an exercise in editing and not the extra, like the CG. I mean, I guess they really wanted to make it Donner's vision. So, and they hadn't filmed any of the footage with the <clears throat> rocket exploding really and, um, and releasing the Phantom Zones, um, the XK 101s, of course, in the theatrical, we get the Paris, the Paris nuclear bomb that results in the cracking of the Phantom Zone. <clears throat> but the effects of the opening are really bad. <clears throat> And I would say the pacing is off during the pre-credits footage. So all the stuff that we get before the credits. And while it's a cool deleted scene, the scene of Superman pushing open the door on the spacecraft is just cheesy. So this is the scene when um, little, little, um, I'm forgetting his name, the... uh, the the little boy actor who plays the boy in Superman the movie, we get a scene in all an alternate sort of take an alternate cut an alternate angle if you of him pushing open um sort of the the entrance I wrote door on my notes but sort of the uh, the opening to the spacecraft it's really sort of a cheesy he comes out and I think he yawns um it's it's interesting I mean I love. I'll take all this footage all day long, but I'm, you know, I'm putting on my critical hat here and, and, and it really is sort of cheesy. You know, as I'm going through my notes here, I'm finding I'm being <clears throat> quite negative with a lot of these early notes. Um, the XK one <clears> Oh <throat> man. Oh man. I'm sorry. I, that, that bowl of blueberry Cheerios. I'm just, <clears throat> I, 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 I just keep needing to try to clear my throat. I am really sorry, folks. But as Bill O'Reilly says, right, it's Bill Bill O'Reilly who's like, you know, screw it, we're doing it live. Um, I've mentioned my minimal editing on this show, and that's how it's going to be. So the XK10. So whoever was doing the, I, I mentioned the computer effects were really bad. They left off the one on one of the rockets. You get the XK, and you know, it's not the XK101 rocket. It's the XK, um, the XK10. Uh, how 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 could that be missed in the in the um the quality com- department with with this you know the QC work here for these new effects that are being done I don't know how that's missed uh why can't the flying in letters like the swooping in letters during the credits look as good as Superman one like none of them do where they try to recreate the effect Superman returns here the Richard Donner cut it just doesn't look as good the computer 
just cannot do it as well as they did it optically with Superman 1. It looks so good in Superman 1, and here it has that computer look. It just doesn't look as good. I gotta say, I missed the recap of Superman 1 that you get <clears throat> during the Superman 2 credits in the theatrical. I missed that with here in the theatrical cut. Um... That's one of my favorite, or that's, I watch these credits and they just pop so well in the theatrical cut with the, the interlaced, um, the inner cut footage from Superman one. I really say I, oh, okay. Now I'm getting to some positive. I really like the new opening scene at the daily planet. Really fun. We get some really fun Lois Lane interaction and with Superman and some cool action. Superman um, jumping out of the window and I remember watching this for the first time and just be, my, my mind being blown, these scenes that we never saw. And now it's been a long time. This We've all seen this. It's been since 2006. So we've seen this. It's, uh, it's not something new, but it still blows my mind to see this new. And it's never going to not be new to me, Richard Donner footage, and it's awesome. And... I really like um, that Perry White. I like that we get Perry White telling them that they'll be new that they're that they're going to be new doing a newlyweds um, racket story instead of recapping it once they're already there. So in the theatrical cut, they show up at uh, the Niagara Falls, and they go into their room, and you have the silly scene with the bellhop, and they go into their room, and that's where Lois sort of tells them that Perry White gave them the story to, you know, check out the newlywed marriage racket that's going on. <clears throat> but here we get Perry White telling him themselves or telling them himself. And I think it works really well. I, I like that it's not the recap that we get in the theatrical cut. Even though I just praised it a minute ago for being mind blowing in terms of being new, how crazy is Lois Lane for jumping out of that window I mean she was pretty much we she I mean she was right but if she wasn't right man oh man she'd be a splatter on the ground and what one thing I really liked about this is that we actually get Richard Donner using heat vision because we didn't get heat vision in movie one um, and so here we get a new power that we hadn't seen. We had not seen heat vision. And for years, I always thought, oh, it was Richard Lester who would, who utilized heat vision. But no, Donner, Donner used the heat vision. He, um, you know, he, he uses heat vision to get the awning to come out. So pretty cool. How does Otis know that? they can't track him and then he flies north that that little bit is in the theatrical cut as well but just no otis um so we have the scene of uh lex and otis in jail and otis says they can't tra they're not able to track him and that he flies north how, how does otis know this he's telling the audience basically is the function that he's serving here but how does he know this information i don't know i think that they could have cut this slasher Fogelstein stuff about bedwetting and it's supposed to be kind of funny but this really does feel like Lester and you it's Donner 
And so this bedwetting little uh, comedy, it's not side plot, just like this little beat that we get in the jail with, uh, I, mean, I mean, if you want comedy, you can have, you know, um, Lex saying, leading over to his fellow fellow jailmate and saying, you know, I, I want my Liberace back, record back. That's kind of funny. But then we get this whole bit about Slasher Fogelstein, and he's a bedwetter, and then Mr. Fogelstein shows up, and, you know, uh, Otis is hi, Mr. Fogelstein. Uh, eh, it's pretty cheesy. You know, that's right up there with uh, the roller skater uh, and the KFC, all the all the wind blowing at the end. Uh, this is right up there with that. So I can't give, I mean, Donner isn't the almighty. Uh, he had his moments, too, where it was just as silly. Um, except they had the good sense to cut it out of the theatrical cut, although they they left in a lot of a lot of silly stuff in the theatrical cut as well, obviously. The so I'm as I move through my notes, I'm just gonna be like skipping all through the movie here. So here we're on the moon. Why did they remove the kicking the kicking sound when um when General Zod kicks the cosmonaut, because in the theatrical cut, you actually get like a oof as he kicks the cosmonaut and he goes floating away. In this cut, there was no sound there. I never noticed that before. That General Zod and General Zod kicks him and he just floats away, but no sound. Kind of weird. The I like the tilting camera um, effect that we get as the villains float away or float away as they fly away after causing all the records and, and, and destruction on the moon we get this sort of canted um angle that sort of happens and i think that i had read or heard or maybe michael thaw said it somewhere but that was done in post-processing that they didn't actually do that in the filming um in camera they didn't actually tilt the camera um but it's i think it's a cool effect it works for me it's really cheesy. So getting back to Donner doing cheesy things, I, it's really cheesy. The whole psh, psh stuff that you get between Otis and Lex Luthor um, in a prison yard, I like it. This stuff, this works. Where Lester um, um, Fogelstein, Slasher Fogelstein, didn't work for me. Um, this the psh stuff, uh, all the the uh, going pee joke that we get here works for me. Don't go psh when I go psh. It's it's it works for me. <laughs> Makes me laugh. And another difference between the theatrical cut is after Lex and Miss Tessmacher have floated away and they're in the, the hot air balloon, we get the scene between them. Um, and in, in this scene, it's at night versus in the, in the theatrical cut, it was during the day. And I think it works um, It works better being at night and being right after the breakout. I, th I I think it works really well. Although you could say like, how did the police not? They're in a hot air balloon, and trust me, we have hot air balloons that fly around us all the time, which is interesting. And not our town, but the town that's not too far away from us, they have a hot air balloon launch. So in the summertime, you can see you see hot air balloons all the time, and you're not going to get away. Like the police are going to be able to find that hot air balloon very quickly. And <laughs> if this was on a if this wasn't a comic book movie. The um, but but I like that scene being being at night. I I wish they would have kept more and Clark of Clark and Lois arriving at the honeymoon hotel, 
it feels too abrupt the way that it happens in the Donner cut. I mean, I, I, I guess because of the Perry scene earlier, Perry telling them that they're a newlywed couple at the um, Perry telling them that they're going to go investigate the newlywed racket in, at Niagara Falls. We didn't get the stuff of between Clark and Lois in the um, hotel room. We didn't necessarily need it, but it works well. There's some, there's some good, there's some good stuff there, and um, some of that's missed. I definitely think that's one of the areas where I think the the diner cut is is missing something is it moves very quickly with the Lois and Clark stuff at Niagara Falls. The the bullfight posters line, Miss Tessmacher says as they're going into the Fortress of Solitude with Lex Luthor, that why doesn't he decorate? It's so sterile or whatever she says. And she says, put up some bull post, bullfighting posters. or well, Such a silly line. Cut that out of there. This is again where I'm saying like, Donner didn't do, didn't, he had his silly moments too of comedy that was just bad. And there was, you know, the whole, psh, like that stuff worked, but there's definitely stuff here that doesn't. And I think the bullfighting poster line is one that doesn't get that out of here. It's got to go. And so then we get into the Forces of Solitude with, with Miss Tessmacher and, um, Lex Luthor and our first taste of Brando, Marlon Brando in in this movie, and it works so well. Like I'm not gonna knock Su- Susanna York from the theatrical too much, but this Brando stuff just knocks it out of the park. It's not even it's night and day for how much better it is than and and again this is my opinion of course, but it's night and day um, difference between. Um, just in the quality of how much I enjoy the scene with Su- Susanna York versus Marlon Brando. And so here we get Marlon Brando explaining to Gene Hackman um, about the Kryptonian villains. I- and I like the effects that they do here. You can tell they've, they're not in these. Ex- they have the look of um, a little bit later, of you know, 2000s effects. Uh, with Marlon Brando floating there. And I, I don't think they would have done it quite exactly the way that they did it here, incorporating um, the way that Brando looks in the scene. I think maybe they would have done a little bit something more like the way that Marlon Brando is sort of looks, has that more transparent look in Superman 1 when he's talking to young Clark um, or, or even older Clark in uh, Special Edition. Um, I So... It's it's uh you, it doesn't I th- I think it sort of shows itself as being um, one of the scenes that was that wouldn't have been the way that it would have been presented originally, but Marlon Brando just works so much better here. The too true to be good line, Lex Luthor says, this, you know, it's too true to be good. Come on, Donner, couldn't you re-film that s- scene to um to be too good to be true, like? obviously um the gene hackman flubbed the line there and why didn't they just refilm that or maybe they did and we don't have it like but i don't know i mean if if it wasn't refilmed then i guess leave it in because it's it's okay if there's no alternative but i'm surprised you couldn't ever have uh gene hackman uh re-recorded that to get that line correct 
Uh, and what's funny is is I watched it a couple times. You know, it's I've seen the restored it, it the restored international cut, the TV cut. You know, long before the Donner cut was actually a thing, and so I had seen this for a long time. And I first couple times, you know, I mean, it's I'm saying how could they have this in here? Why didn't they just have Gene Hackman re-record it? Um, re-record the take. You couldn't just fix that in in um, ADR afterwards if you're going to show his face. You'd have to just record a new take and have him get it right. But I will say, you know, I, I'll cop to watching the movie a couple of times and not catching that he said it incorrectly. So maybe it's fine, you know. <laughs> maybe my criticism is, is not uh, founded uh, because, you know, I even watched a couple times without it being an issue. And then cut the whole the cut the whole bathroom um, bit with Miss Tessmacher, look, looking for the bathroom, and then I found it and the flushing again. The silly comedy that Donner actually it, this is Donner stuff. This wasn't lesser stuff. Get this sort of cheesy comedy out of here. And um, I have a note here that I would have liked the to cut the of course he's Jewish line when Superman's rescuing the boy at Niagara Falls. It just, I feel like they, they upped the audio. I, I, I'd have to go back and compare the theatrical cut because I never heard that line when I was a kid, but I wasn't listening for it either. But I feel like they upped the volume of that line, the, of course, he's Jewish line. And it just takes me, not takes me out of it, but I just can't not notice that line. And it's kind of annoying. I, I personally wish that line would have been cut when, um, and it, it could have been so easy. It's just a voiceover line while Superman is saving saving the boy. Um, so get that line out of there. I like the screen tests. So we have the whole difference of the way that Lois finds out definitively that Clark is also Superman. And so here we have the Lois shooting the bullets, the whole screen test thing where they used um, screen tests different screen tests for Clark and Lois and edited them together to make this scene. And I think it really works. I, even though you have Clark and um, Clark's haircut, haircut like changes because they're using different takes and different screen tests and things. And so you get, you know, one look is Clark's hair is very sort of slicked down and, and another one it's, you know, sort of big and poofy and but i think it really works this scene is fun i really think it's um it's less romantic the other scene the theatrical is more romantic and it gets into a little bit more of the, the way they feel about each other but this scene is more fun the way it plays out i think is more fun and it's quick it's quippy and it works for me so i like this version quite a bit um i like this scene I think the screen test, thank goodness that they actually like had the screen test because it, we would have missed out on this if, if all it was was lines on the page and they hadn't actually, I mean, clearly they didn't actually film it for real during the actual production schedule, but they filmed it as the screen test. And how awesome is that? That it just, it just so happens that the screen tests are from a really awesome scene that never actually got filmed but we get to see them because they filmed the screen tests. Uh, so what a bit of fortuitous luck considering the way everything shook out. 
I I miss this. I do miss the scene where where the part of the theatrical where he says, "Now that you know, I I want you to know it all," and they're going to go to the Fortress of Solitude here. I will say it's a very abrupt in the way it happens in the Richard Donner cut. It just sort of cuts to them flying to the Fortress of Solitude, and it really is sort of an abrupt thing. And I will give the theatrical credit that the editing was was really well done there. And also, as I mentioned, the scene is more romantic with Lois finding out, and they're really expressing that they feel about each other, which we don't quite get in the... Richard Donner cut. And so I do think that it's a shame that, um, you know, a casualty of the lesser scenes going away for the Donner cut is, is, is just that transition that, and, and in in particular, in particular, that line, the, you know, now that, you know, I, I want you to know it all. And sort of says that Clark is willing now to let Lois in and let her all the way in. The, I, it's funny. With the um, so now we're getting into some East Houston, Idaho stuff, and I miss the 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 bit with the, the 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 deputy and the sheriff talking about beans and and food. That's some that's some silliness. That's some Lester's silliness that works for me. Like uh, talking about the beans, um, you can order the fish or how. All of that stuff, like that, that stuff's pretty funny to me. I, it makes me, it cracks me up, and we do, and it's cut, it's out of the Lester, um, it's out of the Donner cut, and I sort of miss that. So I sort of uh, lament that that's not in here. Of course, all of these things that I'm saying that I wish that they were in this cut, well, I can just pop in my theatrical cut and watch that and see those scenes. But I do think that the Donner cut, I've been doing a lot of criticism here. But I think the Donner cut is my is is my preferred cut, even though for nostalgia reasons, uh, you know, the theatrical always has a very special place in my heart. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies, one of those few movies in my life that I just can't remember the first time ever seeing it, and so the, the theatrical has a spe- very special place in my heart. But and and but there's some, I I, I think the Donner cut is just a better version of the movie for me i think and but there are things that don't work as well and there's things that aren't edited quite as well but i think and so but i wish that there was a definitive version now of course i'm not one i to you know there's fan edits up the wazoo out there but i stick to the sort of officially released versions i even did i even dabbled with my own fan edit back in 2006 and and I just abandoned it after a while, and 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 when I when I pop in a movie, I I want to just pop in and watch the officially authorized versions, and so um, of course I could you know do my own edits and have my own my own personal Danny Danny edit, but I I just sort of stick to the stick to the official movies. <clears throat> I like that they use the original general's voice in this version of the Richard Donner cut, the six minute longer version. That is a change that I noticed. Um, so when general Zod is talking to the general, um, and he says, so you are a general and who are your superiors or whatever he says. 
And the guy goes, I answer only to the president. Um, and in the Donner Cut, the original Donner Cut, they replaced it with a more American-sounding voice or just a different voice. And in this cut, the streaming cut, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, the the original voice is back, and I like it a lot better. I just, it feels more authentic. It, it's, you know, the version that we all grew up with, that we're all familiar with, so I like that. It was it was added back in. I, I like that they added that the Washington Monument being destroyed, even though it makes no sense. Um, I, I, I like the Mount Rushmore. Um, being destroyed as we have seen and somehow they can use their heat vision to just instantly make their faces um, be on Mount Rushmore but I, I, I like the Washington Monument being knocked over sort of just gives it more it gives it it adds to the grand scope of of what's going on and how villainous and how big of a threat uh, the 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 Kryptonians are the the depowering, the pre-depowering conversation works much better with Jor-El than Lara. So earlier I was mentioning the Jor-El footage with Lex Luthor, and now we have Jor-El footage with Superman, and I think it just works so much better. Like, Marlon Brando is awesome. And again, not to take too much away from Susanna York, but the Marlon Brando scenes just work so well, and they just have such a gravitas that I don't think the theatrical does. Now, some say the theatrical has more of a motherly... Um, well, obviously, it's it's literally the mother, but just more of a, um, a, a loving discussion about um, between a mother and a son, but I think the more defiant discussion between father and son... Um, works better i think it works really well and i love clark flying down to the console in his clark um clothes in his regular clark clothes i think it's really awesome that we get this moment this brief moment of clark flying in he's making he's making this deliberate choice that i don't need to hide lois knows who i am Obviously, my father knows who I am, and he doesn't have to hide it. He just he, he doesn't have to quickly change into in his, his Superman uh, suit. He just flies over to the console in his uh, Clark clothes. I think it's a that's a really badass, cool move. I, I think it's really cool, and I gotta say, Clark or um, Christopher Reeve in this scene looks awesome. He's cut. He's I gotta say, I feel like he, um, Christopher Reeve was in better shape for Superman one than the or or um, the, the Superman one slash Superman two shoot with Richard Donner. I feel like he put on a little, or he got less cut. I'm not gonna say he put on weight, but he just got less cut, or like just he he just doesn't have the physicality. I feel like in the specifically in these forces of solitude scenes the physicality that i feel like he just brings to um brings to brings within in in these donner scenes i mean it could come down to the tailored fit of the sh white shirt he's wearing versus but look at how look at just go back and do a comparison between how clark looks during this scene with Jorel in um and then how, and then his scenes sort of, uh, when he, 
is in the the lesser version where it's the same like same looking clothes it's probably not the actual same clothes but like the same outfit and he just looks like he's got more muscle or just um i mean it could be just the cut of the shirt but he just looks better in the in the in the diner cut i just have to say it I gotta say that uh, when if when when we get to the diner scene with Lois and Lois and Clark, that Lois is looking good in that outfit. She's got like some like a velvet, like a red, like a maroon kind of colored velvety outfit, and uh, Margot Kidder is looking pretty hot. She's looking pretty good in this scene. I would say this is probably her the scene that I think she looks the most attractive is in this is is in the diner scene. I gotta say, what was the glass? So, Super Clark gets punched by Rocky, and he falls and breaks this glass. What was that glass that was in this diner? It wasn't the front door. I don't know what it was, and I've never, I'm not sure, I've never quite known what that glass was. If 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 you know what the glass is, write in. Maybe I'm missing something obvious uh, that's in this diner, but I'm not sure what it was. Um, this sort of glass stand up. Um, cause I, again, it wasn't the front or back door. So I'm, I'm not sure what it was. It wasn't a window either. Uh, I'm not sure. I think you could have cut the son of Jarrell, the baseball player line, uh, by Lex Luthor when he is talking to, uh, the three villains at the white house. So, um, super, or Zod is like Jorel or Jayla and Lex Luthor's like, no, Jarrell, the baseball player, or um, you know, being sarcastic, but that line could have gone also. I sort of miss the cut um, in the theatrical where he, um, General Zod, is like to Lex Luthor, like, "What do you want?" And he goes, and Lex Luthor, you know, sits down at the front desk of the uh, the um, president's desk, and. and you know, my needs are small. I just need, uh, you know, uh, and he's like, I need, I need Australia. Or I'm butchering it. Uh, but what what he wants is Australia. Then you cut to Australia on the globe in the theatrical. And that's gone here. I sort of like that sort of, um, that sort of on-the-nose cut there. I like it. We get a, uh, as Clark is going back to the Fortress of Solitude, we sort of get this shot as he's climbing up one of the the walls um, um, in the Fortress of Solitude, and he gets right up in the camera for this one view, and it's really awkward. I probably would have cut that. Like, there's this, this weird, awkward cut there. Or not cut. A weird, um, he, I think they were using a really wide-angle lens, and Clark climbs up over the edge of one of the, uh, the walls in the Fortress of Solitude and comes right at the camera, and... It's just sort of an awkward, an awkward angle. And I will have to say that you can really tell that they filmed this, you know, the stuff with, because now we're getting the scene with Christopher Reeve and Jorel in the same room together. And you can tell that some of this stuff was filmed really early on when, because some of the, the Brando stuff was some of the earliest that they filmed, I believe. And Clark's hair length is like, is all over the place between the different shots uh, from the different times they were shot, just not really a criticism. Just just notice, just noting it. The Daily Planet invasion. So when the villains first show up at the Daily Planet, I gotta say, in the diner cut, they cut the music out of this, 
out of this section of the scene and it really makes their entrance even more menacing and um and it works well like of course i love superman music be it john williams of course or even ken thorne from superman 2 but here in this cut they cut the music out and it's just the sounds of what's going on in the newsroom as the as the villains are coming in and it's even more ominous and menacing without the music Oh, this is a note that I should have put earlier in the uh, because it, it's in the theatrical. Um, it comes earlier in the movie, but I really wish they could have found a way to use. Although I think it was Lester who shot it, but the alleyway change earlier on when um, Superman is getting ready to go to Paris, and yeah, there's the awesome alleyway change. We lose that in this cut of the movie, and I really wish they would have. Um, used it even though again the theatrical cut exists I, I can just pop that in and watch it but i think it's awesome and it's sort of a bummer it was um dropped for this i i mean it wouldn't have made sense i don't know where in the movie it would have gone uh but that's one of the highlights of of the theatrical cut that little bit of clark changing the superman and it's sort of a bummer it was lost 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 for this version I will have to say that the freedom of the press line is not as good as would you care to step outside? General, would you care to step outside? And plus the of the general, would you care to step outside that we get in the theatrical? Um, and it's not as good. The delivery is not very good. And it was a callback. It, it was a callback before. So it was a cool line delivered in a cool way and also calling back to a, a previous line um, from the diner. And so I think that they should have kept that. But again, it was probably a reshoot. Probably Lester filmed it. Um, I mean, it is cool to have sort of a different angle and uh, a different line. But I think the uh, would, would, would You Care to Step Outside works better than Haven't You Ever Heard of the Freedom of the Press line. I don't understand what happened to the I'm not a coward Zod when Superman and uh, Zod are fighting. Um, the in, in the Richard Donner cut, the line is like high pitched for some reason. I mean, I wrote in my notes here, it sounds like a chipmunk. Christopher Reeve doesn't, his sound's not that high, but it's pretty, it's pretty noticeable for a, anyone who's really familiar with the theatrical cut. So I don't know. I don't know what happened here. That's, that's um, kind of weird. I like that during the fight, Superman crashes into the Statue of Liberty. That's pretty cool. Um, it it really, uh, again, adds to the gravitas of the moment. Uh, I don't need... This is definitely a reshoot, sort of, from, the, from 2006. I don't need the awkward insert of su Superman pushing the metal out of the way to climb out of the Marlboro truck. Uh, so at the end... Towards the end of the fight, Superman gets thrown into the Marlboro truck, and that's when then the bus is thrown there, and we get the line, you know, the pedestrian thinks Superman's dead, and we get Superman sort of pushing this this weird sort of insert shot that they that they put in for 2006. Like you can just tell it's not original footage. That this is something new that Michael Thaw and the team thought they needed for whatever reason, but they didn't. It's sort of a weird weird it just doesn't need to be there 
I really like that we get um, a lot of the comedy out of the villains using their super breath to blow everything around. A lot of the comedy is basically non-existent in this version, and I think it works so much better. It makes, uh, again, I it's sort of a theme that I've been saying. It makes it more menacing without the comedy bits, and I think it works a lot better. So here's an instance where I think cutting a lot of that stuff out of, and and they had to use a um, lesser footage here. They just didn't film some of this for the um, Donner didn't film it before he left, and so they had to use some of it, but just cutting out as much comedy as you could and just have it be the the menacing parts of this of this uh, super breath scene uh, works a lot better, I think. There's a couple of lines that Luther says, because he's in the uh, Daily Planet, that I would have cut out. The two ears, there's, there's a two ears and a tail line. Like, if, if you watch it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's just some awkward Lex Luthor lines that he's saying uh, in, while at the Daily Planet that I think could have gone. I will say, so now we're getting really towards the end of the movie. I'm skipping to the um, the fight at the Fortress of Solitude. I'm, I'm fine that we, that this cuts out the sort of the disappearing game. The, um, you know, we used to play this when I was uh, in grade school or whatever Superman says with the disappearing because that doesn't make any sense. I, it, it doesn't make any sense with Superman. Um, and, the, you know, the disappearing, reappearing. I don't understand what's going on in there in that scene. I mean, you just accept it as a kid when you're watching it, but it really doesn't make any sense. Um, so I'm glad. I'm fine that that was gone. When Nan goes to fly and he can't, he's his powers. He's he's lost his powers and he goes to fly and he falls into the pit in the Fortress of Solitude. They have a much cooler growl um, sound for Nan than sort of the like sound that he makes in the theatrical. It works. It works a lot better here, I think. Uh, I have to say, I'm fine with the villains dying. A lot of people think that you know, did Superman let the villains die in 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 um, the Fortress of Solitude, and and it's all kind of murky. Like, did they die in the theatrical cut, or do you count the deleted scenes where the Arctic police are there? Um, in their Donner cut, do you count it because he turns back time, which we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I have to say, I'm fine with the villains dying. I think I gave. I, when you're this, when you're that villainous and you're that evil and you're that much of a threat to humanity, then I'm fine if you die. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 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 in that camp. I'm in the camp of when people say like, should the Batman kill the Joker uh, to save lives? And Batman always says, if we kill, then it puts us, it makes us no better than them. Well, I'm always of the camp. Now I recognize you can't. You know, you take away story potential if you kill a villain because then you can't use that villain again. But just philosophically, I'm fine with the villains dying. I'm found I'm fine philosophically with Batman taking out the Joker. I mean, I don't want the bat. I don't want Batman to be the Punisher. I don't want Su- I most certainly don't want Superman to be the Punisher. But go listen to my um. I, I don't know what episode it is, but where I, de- I defend Man of Steel and I'm fine with Superman killing General Zod in um, 2013's Man of Steel. 
Um, in certain instances, I think that the the villain deserves it. And so I'm, I would have been, I'm fine with the villains dying here. I just wanted to give that side note. I don't know why Superman needed to destroy the Fortress of Solitude here in the diner cut. I, I, I don't know why he did, and I don't think that was needed. Um, they stopped. I know that they were um, in a bit of a pickle trying to edit the Richard Donner cut, and they didn't know how the ending was going to be. The original script had them turning back time, but they used that for Superman 1, and so certainly they wouldn't have used that again in Superman 2. Um, but they just went with the shooting script, sort of, or and had him turn back time again. Well, they already stopped the villains. You could have just had it still be the Richard Donner cut, but sort of end it without the turning back the time, because I don't think the turning back the time works. Uh, I mean, you get a couple of cool shots, but they could have been deleted scenes with Perry White's um, in the bathroom which I guess he's smoking a cigar just as he's getting ready to brush his teeth or whatever. Uh, gross. Uh, but, you know, you get the toothpaste going back in the bottle. and um, But I, I, th- I, th- I think they could have done this. They could have tried to figure out or really pick Richard Donner's brain because Richard Donner was on board for this cut. Really try to pick his brain at maybe what they would have done and, and do something different or or even do nothing. Because they stopped the villains already, just like they do in the theatrical. We don't need the turning back the world. I don't think it. I don't think it works as well in this cut. And they put in some bad effects here, and they put in some insert shots that are clearly modern day, which stand out horribly, and don't work. So I'm not on board with the turning back the world that happens in the Richard Donner cut. I'll say that. I missed the going back to the White House scene and telling the president that he won't he won't let him down. I I guess it doesn't make much sense going back to the you know what I was just talking about a second ago. It wouldn't make much sense for Superman to do that to go back to the White House and say he won't let him down again if he's turned back time, because as far as they know he didn't turn he 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 didn't let them down. He turned back time, so it didn't really happen. Um, but again, another casualty of the that's. Lester footage, I believe, strike number one for this cut. They turn back the world so it doesn't fit story-wise. Strike number two for this cut. But I, I, I enjoy that, and I think it works really well for Superman to... It's a symbol of his goodness, I think. He um, wants to represent goodness, and he wants to let the president know, hey, I wasn't here, but I'm not going to let you down again. And I think that scene just works really well. So I do miss that scene in this cut. One thing I will say that they added back in, which I didn't even realize wasn't in the, wasn't on, what is, the souffle scene, Superman and Lois cooking the souffle together, is not on the actual Donner cut proper, uh, the disc version. It's only on here on the streaming. I didn't. When I when I watched this, I, di- I didn't notice or I didn't take note because again, sometimes things get jumbled in terms of which you know what version, what scenes are in what version. I didn't realize that the souffle is actually one of the um, things that was added back in to this um, to the make this this version the six minute long ver- longer version that's on the streaming sites is is the. Uh, 
souffle scene. And I think this is one of the things that should have been left on the cutting room floor or shown in, in a deleted scene as it is sometimes, um, as we've seen it. I forget if that was on the, it might've been a deleted scene on the original Richard, Richard Donner cut disc. I know it's restored somewhere. It's not only in, it has been released proper as a deleted scene, I believe, but in this version, it's incorporated in. And I think that scene is cheesy and could be cut out. All right. Well, those are my thoughts, sort of my rambling thoughts uh, about the Richard Donner cut. I really like the Richard Donner cut. There's things about the theatrical I think work better in certain instances, but I think I prefer the Richard Donner cut a lot for the the inclusion of Marlon Brando and cutting out some of the comedy, um, especially comedy during the Superman uh, or during the super blowing scene. Uh, but we lose some really great stuff also. And I mentioned that all throughout while I was talking. So I'm not going to, I won't rehash all of that stuff, but there's, there's really pros and minuses. Um, or there's really some great pros for the Richard Donner cuts. There's some great pros for uh, the theatrical cut. And as It'll go down in history, uh, you know, Rick James, Dave Chappelle, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. The theatrical cut is the cut that was there from when, when, when I was a kid, and so there's some great stuff there, And but I do think that this is my favorite cut. If I were to show people who've never seen Superman 2, which you'd, you'd think, oh, Danny, you have kids, you have the perfect, the perfect audience to do this with. But my kids have already seen the theatrical cut of Superman 2. We saw it, I, I mentioned we saw it in the drive-in drive in last year. Um, but if I were to show an adult Superman 2 for the first time, and um, I would show them the Richard Donner cut, which I believe is what I showed my wife the first time we watched the movie, because she had never seen it way back in the, um, way, way in back in the day. And so I would think the Donner Cut is what I would show somebody, even though my nostalgia is there for the theatrical. I think the Donner Cut has more gravitas to it. It's got some more weight. It's a little bit more menacing when it needs to be menacing, and it doesn't un undercut itself too much with comedy. But there is there is some comedy, um, especially with Miss a couple of those lines of Miss Tessmachers and the in the fortress of solitude that are pretty cringeworthy that, um, you can't hide behind that. It's, it's Lester. That was Donner. Um, but all in all it's, and it's really interesting that we actually have the second cut of this movie. You have the, what's on the disc and you have the little bit, lo the little bit longer cut on the streaming services. So technically we have three official versions released by Warner brothers for Superman two. Uh, we have the, the theatrical and the two Donner cut, the two Donner cut edits. All right, everyone. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Pretty long one. Uh, an hour and 40 some minutes is long when you're just doing this by yourself. So I, I, I don't know what the next topic is going to be, but it's going to be something fun. I really enjoy doing this podcast. I know that I only get it out monthly and just with, with just with, with the way my life goes and the busyness of kids and everything, like I just I've said it before, I just can't get on the any I I can't get myself on any more of a schedule than monthly for this. And I know even now it's coming out technically a few days 
um, after like I, I think my last episode proper was put out like what March third or something or the fourth, but it's it's I, I started recording this before uh, midnight, so it was uh, April sixth. But now it's the seventh, but it'll be the seventh when it comes out, basically a month away. But I I really love doing this show. Uh, what the next episode topic is going to be, I don't know, but I will see you in early May. All right, everyone, stay super.